Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Good morning, beautiful people. Uh, So I'll be reading Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Uh, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Lord, we pray today that we would have ears to hear and hearts eager to respond to your word in faith. So work through your word, we pray this morning. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Recently, I went out with a friend to um, a VR place, virtual reality games place, um, with a good friend. Uh, That's me and um, I want to say Greg, Dave, Reggie. Look, uh, he's a great guy, but I met him that night and I haven't seen him since. I don't know his name. Uh, He was not a great friend. He's a friend of a friend. I know, but that's uh, that's me. And I'm playing a Star Wars game. Um, I've never done VR until recently and now it's really good i remember like playing it like way back when when i was bad um and i was playing a star wars game i had a lightsaber guys were shooting me and i was knocking the bullets back i was living my best life uh for about an hour there it was wonderful anyway i got got totally sucked into this game for about an hour and the time's up gotta go home and all that um but this star wars game it was so immersive i was well and truly lost in that game um, and it was so immersive, and the VR is so amazing. It tricks your brain into believing you're in this world. It's incredibly effective at what it does. Um, and it was so immersive that I actually had some trouble kind of getting back, if that makes sense. Like, it took me a moment. It wasn't just like, headset off and I'm, and I'm, and I'm here. It took me a little, little while to kind of transition back to reality. It's like I was waking up from a lucid dream, and I just needed a moment to like look around the room and like ground myself in reality once more. Um, but for me, that, that transitioning back into the real world was really important because I don't live in Star Wars land. I live in this world, right? I live in the, the world that God made. Um, and in some way, what wisdom is trying to do is help us make that transition from kind of our VR self-concocted, deluded world back into the real world that God has made that is objectively there, that has certain ways of functioning that, is, that exists whether we are thinking it, about it or not. Does that make sense? We all have our subjective world. We need to, need to adjust back into the real, real world because we all have those kind of deluded fantasies that we concoct for ourselves and things we believe are true that just aren't true. It's 
What Proverbs 3 is calling us to is to kind of take the VR headset of our subjective realities off and the way we think about the world off and actually consciously adjust ourselves back to the world that God has made. And when we do that, what we discover is the world God has made is actually really good. It's actually a good thing for us to do despite how we might feel. And so there's four ways in our text today we're going to kind of do that process of realigning ourselves with the world God has made and kind of pushing back against our deluded subjective world that we sometimes live in. Four ways. Okay, one to four. We're going to step back into the reality of the Father's love. One to four. We're going to step into the reality of your fallibility. Nine and ten. The reality of your stewardship, that you really own nothing. It's all his. And finally, 11 and 12, the reality of your father's training. And so we're going to take these one at a time. Um, before we do, there is a kind of an elephant in the room with this passage that I've got to kind of talk through as well. Um, what you can see here in, this, in these first four verses is a continued pattern of command and then incentive. Do this thing because this is how good it's going to be. Do this thing, because this is how good it's going to be. That shows up about five or six times through this passage. Um, See if you can spot it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Oh, I should say, I'm using the ESV up here, the, um, the inaugural standard version, which is my church. Um, I'm aware that you guys use a different translation. That's okay. We can, we, we can still be friends. Um, this, so this pattern, we see, it, it keeps going five times. We're going to see this command incentive, command incentive. Um, but it, it also introduces to us the first major problem or the elephant in the room that I mentioned. And that is, is Proverbs teaching us the prosperity gospel? Did you pick that up? Is it teaching us the prosperity gospel? Because the language of Proverbs all the way through is prosperity language. Do you see it? Verse 4 speaks of long life. Uh, Verse 2, sorry. Verse 4, favor and success. Verse 10, barns filled and vats bursting with wine and, and so on. If you're not familiar with the teaching of the prosperity gospel, what the prosperity gospel says is that God just wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy and comfortable. And the magic ticket, the way to get there is through faith, more faith. And so prosperity gospel says you have more faith and God will give you what you want. And so the first thing just to say upfront, no, no, we do not believe that the prosperity gospel is heresy. And it's heresy because it knows nothing of love for God and nothing of the glory of God. Um, It's heresy because it's fundamentally about using God to get stuff. And so we've got to reject that outright. That's not what what this is teaching. Um, If you think about it then, it's actually idolatry. I'm not worshipping God. I'm I'm, I'm worshipping stuff and I'm using God to get stuff, which makes it just worldliness, materialism, self-centeredness just dressed up in religious clothes and so we reject outright the teaching of prosperity gospel however these verses are here aren't they so what are they teaching us then um 
This is where it would have been good to have done some setup in the book of Proverbs before this message because we've got to understand what Proverbs is to understand what it's saying. We've got to understand the genre of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is not giving us promises, but principles. There's a million ways we see it work out through the book of of Proverbs. It's not giving us promises, but principles that are generally true. Proverbs is saying, when you live your life in accordance with God's wisdom, life will go better. There's a million exceptions to that. But generally, it'll go better for you when you act wise in this world. In fact, sometimes it doesn't. In verse 11 and 12, for example, speak of the incredible trials that God sometimes lets into our lives in order to shape us and grow us and mold us. And so, yes, the Lord does send us wonderful blessings in this world. We thank him for those. But he also sometimes sends us refining sorrows, which are also for our good, for our blessing, to loosen our our grip on this world and to turn to him. Um, So having said that, having said all of that, um, let's hyper-focus here on verse 3. Verse 3 says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Two Hebrew words here, translated steadfast love and faithfulness. These two words, they might ring a bell. These words are used again and again and again to refer to God himself. And they come from his self-disclosure to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6. So these are precious words. They speak of God's love, God's character, first and foremost. So what I think this is saying to us is that to be wise, to be wise, to live in the real world that God has made, we must adjust ourselves to the reality of the love of God for us, the supermassive love of God. We must bind his love and his perfect faithfulness to our hearts as with hoops of steel. We must engrave it on our hearts, bind them around our necks. We've got to do every single thing we can to drill the deep love of God into our hearts, the love of God for sinners and sufferers like you and me. Friends, the Lord loves you more than you can comprehend. He loves you more than you can comprehend. And the more you get that deep into your bones, the wiser you'll be. Just think about why that's true. Think about why that's true with me. The more you can get that into your bones, the wiser you'll become. Why? For a start, the more secure you'll feel. We all know that we live in this world with a sense of insecurity. It's actually foolishness to be insecure with the amount of love we receive from the Lord. The more safe you'll feel. And listen, the more in touch with objective reality you'll be. That's the key thing here. The more in touch with objective reality you'll be, you'll probably experience a little less anxiety. You'll probably... Uh, be a little bit less concerned about what other people think of you. You'll probably be a little bit less worried about money and the future and all the uncertainty that sits out there in front of us. You'll probably, honestly, experience a little bit more peace, a little bit more joy, a little bit more 
zeal for life, even in the most mundane things of life. Friends, the Father loves you. One day, me and you will stand in glory together and we'll get to experience the joy of heaven. And on that day, we'll be probably experiencing more joy than we are right now, but we won't be any more secure than we are right now. We won't be any more safe than we are right now. Wisdom means living out of that place of deep security in the love of God. It is wisdom to trust him and to live out of that love. So prioritize the spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, church, small groups. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Bind them to your heart. And then live life with that security of a love child of God. That's so important. To be wise means to know you are loved and live with that boldness. Second thing I want you to see in this text, verses 5 to 8. Beautiful verses, these ones. Step into the reality of your fallibility. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Uh, One scholar tells a story, one Bible scholar tells a story about about his dad. Um, His dad was crossing a frozen river somewhere where they have frozen rivers, probably not Sunnybank. Um, and he was, do, he was crossing this river in the middle of winter. And so he had no idea how thick the ice was that he was, he was crawling across, he was, he was trying to make his way across. He just knew that like, you know, if you fall in, you're dead, right? Like, again, I don't, I've never done this before, but apparently you die if you go under the water and you can't breathe anymore. Um, any doctors can confirm that? Um, so he, but he had to get across. Um, and so he's crawling on his hands and knees, kind of like you know, trying to spread his weight out as much as possible. He's on his hands and knees doing some of these ones, the army crawl through the snow to get across the river safely. And as he's doing this, he's on his hands and knees, he's on the river, and he hears the sound of someone approaching behind him. But not just someone, a carriage, wooden carriage, with four big horses pulling it, moving at a clip. And so he hears this racket behind him, and he turns around while he's on the ice. So he's on the ice, and he watches this guy come down, come down the path, straight onto the ice. Four massive horses pulling a wagon, and he goes straight across and up the other side. And meanwhile, this guy's like hunkered down, being like, oh. Turns out it was actually pretty thick all along, and here I am feeling like a fool, right? Turns out this other guy was a local. And so he knows exactly how safe this river is in winter. And that he didn't even, he didn't stop to think about it, taking four horses and a, and a, and a carriage across this ice. This local was in touch with reality. He knew how thick the ice was. And this poor visitor had no idea. So you can just imagine how like foolish he would have felt in that moment. For many of us, I think that's us on our hands and knees. Our trust in the Lord is half-hearted. It's half-hearted 
and so, so, so cautious. Friends, your God is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your trust. The ice is way thicker than you think it is. You can trust the Lord with all of your heart. You really can put all of your weight on him. You do not need a plan B when it comes to following Jesus. The ice is thicker than you think. This is what, um, this is what Tozer had to say. A.W. Tozer was a um, preacher two generations ago Also, He said this. He said, pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails it. There's always a plan B. It's pseudo-faith. It's not real faith. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitutes. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam first stood upon the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. point of our passage today, the point of this in, in Proverbs of all places, is that it's not just right and good to trust the Lord. It's actually wise. It's the smart play. It's the smart thing to do to actually trust him. In fact, you'd think it would be smart to kind of really go with your gut, trust your intuition, go with your own wisdom, and yet that's the one thing we're told, don't do that. Be careful not to do that. There's going to be a trap here. You're just going to believe you're right all the time, that the way you see the world is just smack on. And Proverbs is saying, no, no, sometimes you can't see things clearly. It is wise to mistrust yourself. The wise in the world know that they are often wrong and they see things in a distorted way because of our sin. The wise people don't leave, lean on their own understanding. They lean on the Lord and his word. And it's smart, it's wise to do that. It's not just right and good. On the other hand, the fool in Proverbs, he's the main, one of the main characters of the book of Proverbs, he's never wrong. He never needs help. He, uh, he never needs correction. He's got it all figured out. And the Lord says to him, you're a fool. You, you know nothing. You don't know the first thing about anything. You're a speck of dust floating in the living room that you can kind of see when the light comes through the right way. It's like, that's you. Proverbs 26, verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Translation, you would rather be a fool who at least can receive some kind of correction than be someone who thinks who's just too wise to receive any wisdom from the Lord. I think the bottom line is this. You and I are just so underqualified to play the role of God in our lives. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Number three, um, we're going to come to grips with the Lord's love for us if we're going to be wise. We're going to have a healthy mistrust of our intuitions and our own wisdom to be wise. The next two that we'll look at, I think, are very interesting, and I'm curious as to why they're here, even. Um, he gets weirdly specific. Trust the Lord, firstly, in your treasures and in your trials. 
Trust the Lord in your treasures and in your trials. So firstly, let's do treasure, verses 9 and 10. Living in God's world, being wise in God's world, means accepting the fact that you own nothing. It's all his. That's hard for us. But when we accept that, we are wise. Let's see here. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Remember, Proverbs isn't giving us promises here. Um, This doesn't mean you'll literally have vats exploding with wine. For example, I don't own a vat. Um, I wouldn't know where to go to buy a vat. Does Kmart have vats? I don't know. Um, Do you need to get them custom made? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, my point is that Proverbs isn't telling us this is a mechanical transaction between you and the Lord. Um, You give money to God, he'll make you rich, right? That's, that's, That's the way the prosperity preachers will will take these verses. That's not what Proverbs is teaching us. Proverbs doesn't work like that. Um, The key word here, I think, is the Hebrew word that's translated honor, uh, which means weightiness, heaviness. So it's saying, um, make sure in where your money goes that God is seen as significant and important in that decision. Make sure he's seen as, as weighty in where your money goes. And remember, verse 6 told us, in all your ways acknowledge him. And then verse 9 here says, yeah, yeah, especially where you spend money. In all your ways acknowledge God, but especially pay attention where your money goes. So question, why is this here in Proverbs 3, having just been talking about trusting the Lord with all of our heart? Um, Because it's here for a reason, clearly. The Lord put it here so that we would see it this morning. I have a theory. I could tell you what my theory is, and and that is that I think money is particularly flagged here because where our money goes is an awkwardly accurate representation of where our heart is. We can't argue with the numbers. There they are. They really do put a, a figure on our priorities, and that is important for us to acknowledge. And the, the uh, German, German reformer, Martin Luther, he uh, famously told us that every person needs three conversions. His head, his heart, his wallet. What he's saying is we first need to be convinced in our minds when you receive the, the, the propositions, the truth, the, the, the content of the gospel. We need to understand what that means for us, firstly, uh, to understand the good news of Jesus. Secondly, we actually need to be convinced that that's not just like true as a general truth. It's actually true for me. Christ's grace is enough for me personally. And there's a whole new reality of of the gospel that opens up when we start believing it on a personal level. But Martin Luther's trying to say, it's when our budget begins to change that the gospel's actually beginning to work itself out in our lives. And our priorities are shifting to be in line with priorities of Christ rather than our own self-centered goals. So what is actually being called for in this verse, uh, in Proverbs? I think it's pretty clear. First fruits, you know, the Lord gets our first and our best. I think that is basically what it's calling for. Um, that's what the idea of the first fruits represents, first and best. In the Old Testament, that is a command under the Mosaic law. As believers in Christ today, we're no longer under that Mosaic law in the same way. Um, however, the principles are quite clear. We give the Lord our first and our best. Everything we have is His. We want to acknowledge that. We want to acknowledge that in every single decision we make. 
Why is this important for us to think about with wisdom? I think it's just to summarize it quickly in my own thinking. In what world could you look at, could, could you, um, in what world could you be a wise person and be stingy towards God in where your money goes? In what world can we um, fail to acknowledge that the Lord has given us everything we have? The wise person has open hands. Everything the Lord has given you is for the blessing of the world. Yes, you need to eat. Yes, you need a house. That's getting harder and harder and harder in Brisbane. And yet, we are temporary stewards for his glory. So we trust the Lord with all of our heart. We trust him with our treasures. I think at this point, let me just press pause and sidebar and just appreciate the fact that there is a lot of anxiety around money in our day, in our city, in our country, housing in particular. We just got to trust him. We've got to pray. We've got to trust him. We've got to seek to care for those in our communities that are struggling to find housing. But we've got to trust him with our treasures. Finally, let's look at the last one. We want to trust the Lord with our trials. Lest we think that trusting the Lord will make us rich, the Lord reminds us, nope, at times, he will bring trials into our lives for our good. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, the writer of Hebrews quotes this and expands on it. So I'm just going to keep reading from the New Testament in Hebrews 13. He says this, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes our passage today in Proverbs, uh, which I'll skip over because I just read it. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline, in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had our earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But listen to this. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields a pe- the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all who have been trained by it. This is a profound thing for us to consider. Um, This is a really hard thing to embrace. I think that's why this is in the Bible, in Proverbs and in Hebrews. This is really hard for us to embrace from our heart. And this is why I think we're told explicitly in Proverbs, don't despise it. It comes from your Father's hand. Do not be wary of it. Your Father loves you. And you can trust in him with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You don't have to understand the discipline to receive it. God's discipline is about training. Discipline given in love and affection. 
I just think of my, uh, my girls, Lucy and Violet. I love them with all of my heart. And yet there are days where they would not, where they are experiencing my discipline, where it would be hard for them to really understand what my love looks like in that moment. Um, I discipline them because I love my children deeply and I want them to grow up in the grace of the Lord. And that means having some hard boundaries and lines they cannot cross without receiving discipline. Now, I am certain as a, as a dad that I could do this better. The Lord has, made, has grown me in this in a, lot, in a, in a big way over the years. Um, I'm certain my attempts are imperfect. And despite my best intentions, sometimes there are mixed motivations. And yet, from the bottom of my heart, I do it because I love them. The Lord's discipline in my life is not the same as mine. Mine sometimes is influenced by my sin. The Lord's discipline is perfect. His motivations are always perfectly pure and loving. He never has to repent of losing his temper like I have. He's a better dad to me than I am to my kids. And his discipline in my life and in your life comes from his fatherly hand of care. What did the text tell us just before? He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. So friends, don't, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. It's for your good. And in eternity, we will understand it in ways we can't now, even at its hardest. To trust the Lord in your trials. Well, just to close before we spend some time in prayer together, um, the Lord really does want to make you wise. He really does. The Lord really does want to help you live in the real world. And to live here, you need to remember deep in your heart the Lord loves you. You can live with courage, you can live with trust. You can bind it to your heart and live out of the security that it brings. You're not God, remember that. You'll be wise when you mistrust yourself on occasion. You are fallible. Trust the word of God more than your feelings or your intuition. Trust him with your stuff. You don't own it. He's a kind father who gives you what you need, but it's not yours. Honor him with what you have. And finally, trust him in those seasons of trials knowing for a certainty, for a fact, that he is seeking to love you in those moments, not destroy you. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think of Ephesians, Ephesians 3, where Paul prays for the church that we would have strength to comprehend the magnitude of your love for us. Lord, we have such a small picture of your love 
in our minds and our hearts. Lord, we need your strength to comprehend the height and the breadth and the depth of that infinite nature of your love for us. Lord, we can only grasp some small, tiny edge of that infinite hole. And yet I pray that you would give us the resources, the spiritual resources to do so. Lord, we want to live in the real world where you are, which means accepting some things that are hard for us to accept. Lord, grow our confidence in the solid ground under our feet. Lord, the rock of love that we stand upon, the mountain. Grow our confidence in the, in the thickness of the ice that we really can push all our, tr- our chips onto you. We can lean all our weight on you. We don't need a plan B when our trust is upon you. And so, Lord, would you help us to walk out our lives, Lord, without trepidation, without, um, without fear, just knowing that surely you'll come through for us like you promised. Give us wholehearted faith, not half-hearted faith. Lord, I just, just acknowledge in my own life, Lord, I'm so prone to trust in my own understanding. It takes a work of your spirit to lead me out of that. So show us, show us all, Lord, where, where in our lives uh, we are so quick to believe that we've got it all figured out and that we can't be wrong. Show us in your word the solid ground we stand on. Lord, help us honor you with our stuff. Well, this is so practical for us because all of us are faced with those decisions to steward what you've given us. Lord, we want to follow you and honor you with every area of our life. So would you give us wisdom? Would you give us wisdom? Lord, and finally, we, we, we pray for your work in our trials. Lord, for those of us here who are feeling like we are in a season that we are underneath the hand of your discipline and it feels heavy and you are despi- and we are despising it, Lord. I pray for those people now, Lord, that they would receive the good word, the good news, that they would adjust themselves to the reality of your love for them. And Lord, finally, I just want to pray for this church. Lord, I pray for providence pray for its future. Lord, would you use this church to bring a harvest of souls home with the work of the gospel move forwards in power here. Would the truth be honoured? Would your word be in the centre? Holy Spirit, would you move? I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Most of whom I've never met, Lord. Would you bless them richly with all the blessings of Christ? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.